Well, turn with, with me in your Bible to John chapter 2. John chapter 2, we're looking at verses 13 through 25. If you're an astute observer, you may say, well, pastor, didn't we talk about this scripture a little bit a few months ago on a Reformation Sunday? And uh, you probably have to be a pretty astute observer to think that. Uh, but it's true, we talked about this uh, scripture and, and kind of what it meant. We're going to look at it again as we're going through John um, but I think we're going to get a fresh look at it today. And, uh, but I want us, as we look at this, this is a common story most of us are familiar with. It's a common story in, in uh, the Gospels, and there's a little different variations. We look at it in John. I want us to take it as John writes it. Um, and I, I think it, there is a good reason to look at the gospel stories and kind of combine them sometimes and say, well, Luke says this during this account as well and adds this. Uh, but today I kind of want us to look at what was John recording? What was John's perspective of this event and what it meant for them? And I think that's going to come out as we look at it today. Um, so John chapter 2, starting in verse 13. The Passover of the Jews was near. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple he found people selling cattle and sheep and doves, and money changers seated at their tables. Making a whip of cords, he drove all of them out of the temple, both the sheep and the cattle. He also poured out the coins and the money changers and overturned their tables. He told those who were selling the doves, Take these things out of here. Stop making my father's house a marketplace. His disciples remember that it was written, Zeal for your house will consume me. And the Jews then said to him, What sign can you show us for doing this? And Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days rise it up, raise it up again. But he was speaking of the temple of his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture, the word that Jesus had spoken. Excuse me. And the Jews would replied to him, This temple has been under construction for 46 years, and you will raise it up in three days? And when he was in Jerusalem doing, uh, when they had remembered this, excuse me, and they believed the scripture and the word that he had spoken. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It was that time of year again. Benjamin uh, had had a very prosper, prosperous year on his farmland in Israel. Uh, he had grown up on this land. His father had, had tilled and, and cultured this land over many years. This land had been in his family for generations. It was the land that God had given Benjamin's family uh, generations ago. This was the promised land and for Benjamin, this year had been a great year. His crops had produced. His cattle had, uh, had given many calflings that year. The sheep were in abundance of supply. Oh, it was a wonderful and prosperous year. Benjamin had known plenty of lean years on the land in Israel. He has been working the land since he was a boy. And over the course of 30 or 40 years, he had seen droughts. He had seen uh, bad crops. But this year was a great year. Benjamin had seen his, 
had children grow up on this land. Benjamin's children are now even having their own children, and they were helping out on the farm in Israel oh so many years ago. Sure, the Romans were around, and they were causing trouble here and there, and they, they loved to throw taxes on everything, and God's people weren't supposed to be under the Roman rule. Um, but, you know, this was such a good year. God had blessed them so much that Benjamin was just thankful. Not even the Romans could uh, get in the way and, and bring his spirits down. Benjamin knew it was that time of year again, though. It was that time of year when he was called to go back to the temple to give his thanksgiving and praise back to God, to give his tithes and his offerings and to celebrate and to recognize where his many blessings had come from. See, Benjamin, the land he had grown up on, though, wasn't right next door to Jerusalem. He lived about a three days ride from Jerusalem. And so to bring his tithes and his offerings into Jerusalem and to the temple that would have been an arduous ordeal. It's already a long journey, but if he would have had to take the oxen and the, the 10% of his offerings, well, that would have been an incredible journey. But thankfully, God didn't expect him to do that. God had made provisions if you lived that far away from Jerusalem that you could sell your tithes, turn them into money. Well, you know the scripture. Let me read it to you. It's found in Deuteronomy Chapter 14, verses 22 through 26. It says this, Set apart a tithe of all the yield of your seed that is brought in yearly from the field. And in the presence of the Lord your God in the place that he will choose as a dwelling for his name, you shall eat the tithe of your grain, your wine and your oil, as well as the firstlings of your herd and flock so that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. But if, when the Lord your God has blessed you, the distance is so great that you are unable to transport it, because the place where the Lord your God will choose to set his name is too far away from you, then you may turn it into money. With the money secure in hand, go to the place that the Lord your God will choose Spend the money for whatever you wish, oxen, sheep, wine, strong drink, whatever you desire, and you shall eat it there in the presence of the Lord your God and your household rejoicing together. Well, it was in the scripture that thankfully Benjamin didn't have to carry all of his oxen and sheep and tithes and offerings to the house of the Lord, that he could turn it into money, and when he got there, he could buy those oxen and sheep again and then sacrifice and celebrate and give thanksgiving to God in his tithes and offerings. And now, Benjamin, at this point, about 2,000 years ago, the place where God had chosen his name to dwell was Jerusalem, at the very temple there. And that's where Benjamin and his family would go. So Benjamin packs up his family. It's that time of year again. And uh, he, he gets all the kids and the grandkids together and, and he goes and sells the oxen and the grain offerings and they head on to Jerusalem. It's a three-day journey, but who doesn't love a family road trip every once in a while? So it's a little harder when you're on Camelback, you know. But they get into Jerusalem and, and they go to the inn and they get all set up. And the next day, Benjamin and his family, they go to the temple to celebrate, to worship, and to give back to God 
part of what he had blessed them with. Benjamin goes to the temple with his family. His family kind of go off, and Benjamin's going to go take care of the business. This is one of the busiest times of the temple because it's the Passover. So many families are coming in from all over Israel to worship during this time. And so Benjamin, he sees some of his old friends, and he, he tells them about their year and how great it's been, and they just kind of catch up. And he's with a, a good group uh, of men he's known all of his life, working the land that God had given them. And time came, and, and Benjamin says, I'm ready to worship. So Benjamin goes up to the tables where they have the oxen, the sheep that you can buy. He goes to the money changers where you can take that Roman currency that you have to use out on the highway, that you can turn it into the currency of the temple so that it can be clean and you can give it and worship at the temple there. And while Benjamin's making the transactions needed to worship God, he hears a commotion behind him. That's odd. He hears a, a crack of the whip. What's, what's going on? And Benjamin, Benjamin turns, and he sees a Galilean, a poor-looking fellow with a whip in his hand. And he's over by the sheep and the oxen pens, and he's releasing them all. He's cracking the whip over the head of the cattle saying, get out of here. And he's releasing them into all the streets. And Benjamin thinks, what is that guy doing? Doesn't he know we need those to worship the Lord? Here, I'm turning my money and to buy those sheep and the cattle to worship God. Who does he think he is? And Benjamin realizes, oh, this is, this is probably one of those zealot protesters causing problems again in the temple. They're always causing mischief. And Benjamin tries to get back to what he was doing, trying to make the transactions at hand. But then the commotion keeps up. And that little Galilean won't, won't stop. And finally, Benjamin turns and, and realizes the Galileans headed his way. Benjamin looks in his eyes and he expects to see fury, anger. But instead, he sees humility, a fire in his eyes, almost the sadness. Benjamin doesn't understand. This Galilean wasn't really coming towards Benjamin himself. He was coming over to the money changer tables and the men that were selling the oxen and the sheep. And he was coming with that fire in his eyes, so Benjamin jumps out of the way into the crowd, and good thing he did, because this Galilean, he starts throwing over the tables and spilling out all the money. Unfortunately, Benjamin had already turned his money in. And Benjamin starts to grow angry. Who does this guy think he is causing trouble at the temple today. And the Galilean finally shouts out, Stop making my father's house into a marketplace. Oh boy, that makes Benjamin's blood really boil. Doesn't he know this is how we worship God? Doesn't he know this is how we've been worshiping for generation after generation after generation? Hasn't he read Deuteronomy? This is what we do. And it wasn't just Benjamin's blood boiling. He could feel the crowd watching this Galilean. And there was malice in the crowd. How dare he? Benjamin, usually a quiet man, kept to himself, finally couldn't hold it in any longer. And he turns to his neighbor and says, who does this guy think he is? And his neighbor says, uh, he, think, he thinks he's a prophet. He's been hanging out with John the Baptist and a few lowly fishermen from Galilee. Uh, 
I really don't know. And it's Benjamin. Well, if he's supposed to be a prophet, he should be able to show us a sign for this. So Benjamin, in the safety of the crowd, shouts out, well, what sign can you show us to do this? And then this Galilean trains those fiery, humble, yet sad eyes on Benjamin. And his face grows a little more sad. And he says, destroy this temple and in three days raise it back up. And to that, the crowd erupts in laughter and mocking. They couldn't believe what they had heard. They laughed it off as a fool's ramblings. Benjamin was caught off guard by that response. It's not what he was expecting. And finally, another person in the crowd that was laughing hysterically said, oh yeah, we've been working on this temple for 46 years and you're going to raise it up in three days. Yeah, right. And to that, the crowd laughing disperses. They realize that worship is ruined for that day. Yeah, the, the priests try to come together and they try to collect the coins and clean up the mess, but it's no good. Maybe they'll have to come back tomorrow or the next day to worship. It's no good anymore. Benjamin goes home shaken, disturbed, angry at what had happened at the temple that day. Uh, Benjamin uh, couldn't really stay in Jerusalem. There was too much hubbub going on, and, and so he just wanted to get his family out of town. So they pack up the next day, and they go on home. Benjamin would never forget that day at the temple. It bothered him. It still made him angry when he thought about it. In fact, uh, the next few years, Benjamin wouldn't return that time of year again over the Passover to worship. He had heard that that Galilean prophet kept on making trouble. He kept on stirring up a lot in Jerusalem. And so he just said, I'll stay home. Yeah, I'll go to the local synagogue. I'll read the scriptures. But I'm not going to go to the temple until things settle down. And it was a few years later that Benjamin's out in the field working with his sons. And Benjamin's neighbor comes by. And he's just coming to make small talk. And he, his neighbor says, hey, have you heard what's, what's going on in Jerusalem? Benjamin says, no, I haven't heard anything. He says, you remember that Galilean protester guy that was causing all that trouble at the temple that day? Benjamin says, yeah, I'll never forget it. Well, did you hear he got in a lot of trouble with the prophet's I mean, in, with the Sadducees and the Pharisees. Over the course of the past few years, he's been saying that he's actually the Messiah. He, he's been saying things like, I am the bread of life. I am the way, the truth, and the light of the world. Oh, he was causing all sorts of trouble. But then he would go and hang out with those tax collectors and women of ill repute. And oh boy, he would get in the worst arguments with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They really hated him. And Benjamin thought, well, that... That sounds about the man I saw causing trouble that day. But Benjamin's neighbor says, well, that's not all. The Pharisees and Sadducees, they finally had enough. And, and so they went to the Romans and they said, hey, this guy fancies him a Messiah and a king. What are you going to do about it? Benjamin's neighbor said, you know what the Romans do when you start calling yourself a king. 
And so the Romans crucified him. Benjamin admits that he didn't like the Galilean prophet he saw in the temple. But it saddened him to hear about another Jew being crucified. He would take no joy in it. Benjamin's neighbor didn't stop there. Wait, he said, that's not even the half of it. Here's the real scandal. Three days later, some of his disciples went to the tomb to prepare his body. Some women, they, they went, and guess what? Three days later, the tomb was empty. Some of his disciples are even saying he raised, was raised from the dead by God himself. No one can find him. The Romans, they even put, they put guards at the tomb, and they can't even say what happened. Benjamin, Jerusalem is in an uproar right now. But Benjamin had stopped listening. Once he heard, after three days, it was like a ton of bricks had hit him. Because his memory was recalled to that fateful day at the temple he remembered that face trained on him with those fiery, humble, and sad eyes looking at him. And his response finally made sense. Destroy this temple and raise it up in three days. The realization of what this man had said and the realization that it had come true shook Benjamin to his very core. He left his neighbor in the field, didn't even say goodbye. He hopped on his camel and headed straight for home. He wanted to talk it over with his wife. On his way home, he thought about that day. He thought about how incredible that this, this prophet, no, more than that. You see, this man wasn't just telling the future about what would happen to him. He was saying something much deeper than that. Because like Deuteronomy says, the temple was where God's presence dwelt on earth. The temple was where God's name was represented on earth. And this man said now he was the temple. And sure, anybody can say that. But this man who was crucified, dead and buried and raised again. On his ride home that day, Benjamin realized this man was much more than a prophet. This man was much more than the Messiah that he thought was coming. This man was the very God in the flesh. God's presence had dwelt among them, and Benjamin had missed it entirely. Benjamin gets home. His head is reeling with this realization he recalls back to what this man, this Messiah, this God in the flesh had said to them that we had made God's house into a marketplace. Benjamin hears in his head, he remembers the scriptures. Perhaps he was right. Doesn't it say in Hosea that I, God seeks mercy? not sacrifice, that God 
He would rather have acknowledgement of him rather than burnt offerings. Benjamin realizes that the prophets had been saying this, but it wasn't until he had met God in the flesh that God could change his heart and allow him to worship God in spirit and in truth. As Benjamin enters into his home, he makes the decision right there that he would no longer just follow the letters of the law. He would follow and worship at this new temple. He would follow Jesus of Nazareth for the rest of his life. You may not have lived 2,000 years ago. You may not have been there at the temple that day. You may not even care what happens at a temple. You've never, maybe you've never even been to a, a Jewish temple in all of your life. But I'm here to tell you this morning that what Christ did for Benjamin thousands of years ago, he wants to do in your life today. That before we come to Jesus, and even when we are following him, Jesus will come to us and he will disrupt all of our religious preconceptions, all of our tendencies to make religion about us, to use religion to safeguard ourselves, to just keep the status quo. Jesus will come into our lives and disrupt everything. This is who Jesus, the Messiah, God in the flesh is, that when we meet Jesus, he's going to bother us a little bit. I hate to tell you. Sure, some of your religiosity uh, may be what has always happened. Maybe some of the things you do in the name of religion are even found in the Bible. But here, Christ comes to us and calls us to a different way, his way. That he is God in the flesh, and he overturns the tables of our lives and calls into question all of those things we do that are selfish, all of those things we do to protect ourselves, that benefit ourselves, and even when we name it in the name of religion. What Benjamin saw in Christ overturning the tables in the temple was God in the flesh coming to us and saying, stop making religion about you and what you want. Stop using my name to benefit you. Instead, worship me as I've asked you to. And now that Jesus has come in the flesh, we have the grace and the empowerment and the calling to do just that. If you haven't made a decision to follow Christ yet, I invite you to make that decision today. To look at Christ and know that he is God in the flesh. He came out of love for you and I, and he has called us to follow him. He has sent us on a better way. But let me warn you, he's going to overturn a few tables in your life. He's going to cause a disruption. He's going to clean house. And he's going to call you into a pure and selfless faith that calls you into a deeper relationship with God and with your neighbor, with other people. And if you've been a Christian all of your life, 
Maybe you've been coming to church all of your life. Let me tell you, though, if Jesus is present in your life, if Jesus is active in your spiritual life, you are going to continue to get bothered. In fact, I'm here to tell you that if you're not getting bothered, if Jesus is not challenging you, if Jesus is not convicting you, you have to wonder if Jesus is present in your life. Because when Jesus is in your life, you are constantly being called. It's like a rope in your chest pulling you forward closer to God and closer to the way of Jesus Christ. And so if you aren't feeling that pull, if you aren't being challenged, I'd encourage you today to check your religious assumptions. That when Jesus comes into your life, if Jesus came into our church, I wonder what tables he might overturn. I wonder if he looked at our church budget, how he would mark it up and say, what, how does this reflect the gospel? If he looked at the immense resources we have, he would ask, what are we doing to further the kingdom of God? What are we doing to, to bless the community with it? I wonder if Jesus came into your home or into your spiritual life, what tables he might overturn. I wonder if Jesus would say, yeah, you, you pray and read the Bible every day, but are you just checking off a box? Or are you really allowing me to speak to you in those moments? Are you just doing your devotions at the beginning of the day so you can leave God's presence behind once you go about your day? Or are you actively resting and praying and taking the presence of God with you wherever you go? Do you see the difference between religion and following Christ? I wonder if Christ would come into your life and say, you know, you kind of come to church once every eight weeks and you say, oh, God understands. God knows. I worship in other ways. But before you know it, you're at the end of your life and you realize you haven't contributed to God's kingdom in any meaningful way. You see, I wonder, have Jesus, it, it's not about guilt, it's not about Jesus being upset with us, but it's about him overturning our tables and asking us to follow him in a deeper way. Asking us to commit everything we have, not just Sunday at 10.30 a.m., not just uh, Weekdays between 7.30 and 8 a.m., Jesus wants all of us. He wants a deeper relationship in us, and he definitely wants us to worship him in the way we live out our faith in the world, the way we treat others. Do you realize that the way you treat others is worship of God? I, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. You realize you can have all the religion you want, but it may not be the faith of Jesus Christ. So my question to us today is, will we allow Jesus to keep challenging us, to keep calling us forward? Or will we be satisfied with just the religious norms? just the things that make us feel better and go about our days. You see, when you have a real encounter with Jesus, 
like Benjamin did that day. It may make you angry. It may frustrate you. It may disrupt everything about your life. But if you have a real encounter with Jesus, you will know it and you will be changed forever. Will you invite God in even if he makes a mess? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we invite you here into this space. Would you speak to our hearts? Would we be open to you, Lord? Would we allow not just part of our lives, would we allow everything about ourselves to be open to you? And may we never, not only this morning, but in all the days of our lives, be closed off to you. May you always be sanctifying us, cleansing us, renewing us day by day to be your people. Would you speak to us now in our time of prayer? Would you speak to us through our time of communion? And may we go from this place following you in a closer way. In Christ's name we pray, amen. As our servers come down, as we prepare our hearts for communion, Jesus redefined what the temple was. Jesus effectively said, I am the temple. I am the definitive presence of God on this earth. And so this morning, I invite you to partake in that presence. We've been partaking in that presence all worship service. But during the time of communion, we especially get to concentrate that we recognize that Jesus is that presence. Jesus is the temple we worship at. Jesus is where God's name dwells for all of eternity. And he invites us to partake of him. And yet what Jesus wants in this time of communion is to invite you down to be with him, partake of him, and then Jesus wants to send you out so that his presence goes out into the world with you, that you become bearers of God's presence in the world. So I'd invite you, you don't have to be a member of our church to partake in communion. You don't have to be a member of church, surprise, surprise, to be a bearer of God's presence. All we believe is that you make a decision to turn your life over to Christ. They receive his grace and his forgiveness and his love and you allow him to turn over your tables and you commit to allow him to turn over your tables for the rest of your life. Then come partake of the grace of the one who is the true temple. On the night our Lord was betrayed, he took bread, having broken it, giving thanks, he said, this is my body broken for you. Take whenever you do in remembrance of me. Similar way, he took the cup and said, this is the cup of the new covenant. This is my blood shed for you. Take, drink, whenever you do in remembrance of me. When you're ready, you can exit your side row, come and partake of the cup and the bread. I'd invite you to take a time of prayer. Feel free to kneel at an altar, pray about anything that is burdening you, and you can return to your seat and pray in your seat.
Allow this time to just be devoted to allowing God to speak to us all. Come when you're ready. Let us continue in time of prayer. Heavenly Father, we confess sometimes uh, we think we'd rather just be left alone. We think we'd rather uh, just take it easy and, and kind of coast along. But we know and we also confess that if left to our own devices, we end up in pain and misery and suffering and sin. And that we are powerless to free ourselves out of that. So we thank you for coming into our lives and overturning our tables. We thank you for challenging us and calling us to yourself, for inviting us back into your family. So I pray that we would be receptive, that we wouldn't shut the door to Christ, that we would allow you to come into our lives and change whatever you would have changed. May we always be a people here at First Church of the Nazarene that lay ourselves open to you and allow your spirit to convict and transform us. That in everything we do and say and have, that it would be laid on the altar to your kingdom and your gospel. And that we would, we, we would follow you above all else, the true presence of God. So would you make this happen in not only our personal lives, but in the church and everything we do together, whether it be in the preschool ministry or the NA recovery groups that meet here, Lord, and, and the food pantry ministry, Lord, or as we seek to, to build a Christian community together, as we love one another in sickness and carry one another's burdens, Lord, may your spirit be in all of this. May we be drawn closer to Christ, and through all of these ministries, we may we draw others closer to Christ. May people see the presence of God in our lives. May they see mercy and love where there should be hate and division. May they see Christ in us wherever we go, not just on Sunday mornings, but in all hours of the day. May our lives be totally devoted to you. Lord, we lift up now those who are struggling today, those who maybe are having family problems, those who are carrying burdens that are unspoken, that they can't share with one another, those who are carrying maybe anxiety or depression or, or wondering where their next job is going to come from, Lord. We pray that your will and your spirit would be in all of these situations. May we learn to trust you in a deeper way, and we look for your hand of providence in our lives. May we see it when it moves. Be with those who are struggling physically, Lord. Uh, we think of uh, Richard as he's still recovering from his open heart surgery and dealing with sickness. Would your hand be upon him? Strengthen his body, encourage his spirit, we ask, Lord. Be with Carl and Christina, Lord, as we miss them and as Christina suffers the effects of the stroke still, Lord, may your hand be upon them. We remember Ross and Rose who aren't able to be here with us, Lord. We pray that your hand would... Uh, strengthen them, encourage them, and protect them, we ask, Lord. And those who uh, maybe are coming to mind of us personally, we lift up their prayer request to you now. Lord, we lift up uh, those Christians around the world who are suffering or hurting because of your gospel, those who are laying their lives on the line for Jesus' sake. 
We lift up the missionaries all around the world and, and the church of the Nazarene and all the churches that proclaim Christ as Lord. We pray that you would bless them, that you'd further your kingdom everywhere in every nook and cranny of this earth, Lord. Your gospel would be furthered. We lift up our own leader, Greg Mason, our district superintendent. We pray that you'd bless him, encourage him, give him wisdom and strength as he leads us in North Carolina. We thank you for his leadership. We lift up our local and our state and our national leaders, Lord. We pray that you'd give them wisdom and grace to carry out their duties. And may we be a nation that treats others rightly and promotes justice and peace wherever we can. And Lord, may your presence always rest upon us. As we go from this place, as we call ourselves Nazarenes and, and we seek to do your will, may we always have a holy disturbance about us. May we be bothered by the pulling and the leading of your spirit that we never settle for mediocre. We never settle for religion, but we seek first the kingdom of God. Help us to pray as you dot us, saying together, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. If you... Uh, Follow Christ and want to see where he may bother you, read the Gospels. Mm -hmm. And if you say, oh, nothing in the Gospels bothers me, read them again. <laughs> You're not reading them close enough. Keep coming back to Christ, and he will do a new work in you. He will challenge you, and he will change you. You can trust me on that one. Would you stand with me? You may not want to hear this benediction, but may you always... Be disturbed by that Galilean. May you never leave his presence, and may you commit your entire life to him. May his presence never leave you.